Well, thank you, Angie. What a gift. If you were with us last week, you know that Ash Wednesday became Ash Sunday, and we began our Lent journey together. And we are moving through this wilderness, or through seasons of lack, in hopes of finding our way home. And last week, Jason defined home for us as the lap of God's love. I love that. This year at ANC, we're wondering if there are more ways to get home than we may have been taught to believe growing up. We even talked about how resistance might take you home as quickly as obedience, meaning even if you find yourself resisting the wilderness and all that it takes from us, don't add shame and guilt to that. Just be there. God is not shocked or dismayed. As the story of Noah and the flood reminds us, all accounts with God have been settled. So if resistance is where you are, that's okay. After all, the incarnation of Christ on earth is both already and not yet. During Advent, we clung to the word already as a reminder of how God's love is already always available and present. But the scripture before us today invites us to take a hard look at the not yet. Some of you are following along with our Lent boxes, though I'm not sure anyone's as participating as wholeheartedly as the Brimberry's cat. I think we have a photo of her. Uh, based on her face, I think that these conversations about the wilderness are bringing up a lot for her. So I'm glad she's following along. But if you, if you do have a Lent box, you know that the image we chose to accompany the text this week was quicksand, the horror of sinking deeper and deeper into right where you are. And all we, we've all experienced the helplessness of waiting this past year, even these past two weeks. Those of us in Texas waited on power, on heat, on water. Some still do in our city. Many around the world always have. And we were reminded together of the primal, desperate fear of waiting on that which we need to survive. Don Smith uh, this week told me about a picture he saw of homeless folks waiting in line to get warm for that six-degree night that we had. And then another picture of those same people waiting in that same line the next morning. After we waited on water to flow, we waited on water to boil. Meanwhile, we still wait on herd immunity, vaccinations, school, vacation, seeing family. We just passed the 500,000 death mark. And what can we do but take precautions and wait? Meanwhile, racial justice is not yet. Equity is not yet. Unity is certainly not yet. For some of us, family acceptance is not yet. Forgiveness is not yet. An apology is not yet. Our ANC students say they're waiting to get out of here and go to college, waiting on SAT scores, waiting to grieve the loss of a grandparent. Kaylee's just waiting for her new lightsaber to come in. We are all waiting on UPS, may the force be with them. Meanwhile, we wait on love, we wait for a child, we wait for a house, we wait for healing. We wait to make friends in a new city. We wait to make friends in an old city. Financial security may be not yet. Recovery may be not yet. We wait for a job that we love. Some of us wait for any job at all. We wait on test results and second opinions. We wait for the doubts to dissolve. We wait on plumbers and pipes, on a promise someone doesn't remember that we'll never forget. We wait on the next happening, the next hill, the next noteworthy, postworthy landmark. Hugging is not yet. Gathering is not yet. Right now, normal is not yet. God, my God, why have you forsaken us? The first words of Psalm 22 where the lectionary brings us today. And the last words of Jesus on the cross where we'll return on Good Friday. 
Psalm 22 goes on to give one of the best descriptions I have ever seen for how it feels to be suspended in this state of in-between. After describing the state of his affliction, the psalmist writes, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. It's a little piece of pottery. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. We know that feeling. Poured out like water. Bones out of joint. The emptiness of waiting. Yet even with the tongue stuck and the mouth dry, the psalmist turns towards words of praise and hope. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Now, tradition held that God did not show his face even to Moses. So what an astonishing claim this would have been, a huge leap forward to say he did not hide his face from me. God was with me even as I experienced the agony of his silence. The other story before us today offers a picture of a couple emerging from the wilderness. It's like a sneak peek, a flash forward of what we can anticipate. And it offers profound hope to those of us who feel stuck. Let's read together. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face. I like that part. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Then we jump down to verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now, this is the third time that God reiterates his covenant to Abraham. Only now, Abe's 99. This is 24 years after the original promise to become the father of nations. I suppose it takes patience to witness the unfolding of an everlasting covenant. Abraham and Sarah are on death's doorstep. Most of their lives took place in the not yet. They're like dragonflies, which spend three years in their shells underwater and live only about a month with their wings. Their lives were spent preparing for the promise. In her tremendous book, When the Heart Waits, Sue Monk Kidd speaks to the formation that becomes possible in seasons of waiting. She writes, the fullness of one's soul evolves slowly. We're asked to go within, to gestate the newness God is trying to form. We're asked to collaborate with grace. That doesn't mean that grace isn't a gift, nor does it mean that the deliberate process of waiting produces grace, but waiting does provide the time and space necessary for grace to happen. Spirit needs a container to pour itself into. Grace needs an arena in which to incarnate. 
Waiting can be such a place if we allow it. So how then do we allow it? How do we wait well? How do we wait for something that may not happen in our lifetime? You know, I wasn't planning to teach this weekend, and so when Jason asked me, I really needed to, like, focus to get my act together. And I've been rereading one of my favorite books about the creative process by the choreographer Twyla Tharp. And she has a few methods for freeing your mind when you're facing a tight deadline, one of which is spending the week doing only one thing at a time. So I thought, okay, I'm teaching on patience and waiting. That'd probably be like a good practice. Um, it was absolutely horrible. This meant no podcast while walking the dog, no emailing while eating, no Today Show while sort of doing sit-ups, no scrolling in the bathroom. I was like, this isn't freeing my mind. This is ruining my life, Twyla. We have an insatiable greed to fill our every instant, don't we? I don't think we were created to accumulate experiences at this tempo. Ecclesiastes tells us there is a time for everything, but we expect everything on demand. Many psychologists have written about how this onslaught of images and information and distraction and haste is making us sick. Our careless attention and endless consumption fosters a profound emptiness, a deep impatience. It's easy to forget how real change and flourishing actually works. But the natural world can teach us. We must become students of the wilderness we're in. If nature is a physical manifestation of God's creative essence, we can look there and find the truth about what's happening when it seems like nothing is happening. We see it in the bread that we're all learning how to bake, the seeds that we plant, the bruises we watch fade, we have some lilies right now on our kitchen table, and they're my new favorite flower. I feel like a kid watching them. One at a time, these tight green buds have bloomed into gorgeous, expansive, vibrant flowers. Sometimes overnight, one will open up. And I keep staring at them throughout the day like I'm going to catch one moving. I haven't yet. Parents, I bet you've never seen your kid grow, and you know well that all they do is grow. Just because change is imperceptible doesn't mean it's insignificant. I learned a bit more about quicksand this week. Did you know it can't actually drown you? So all those movie scenes where someone gets pulled under and disappears, that's good drama, but it's not science. The physics of real quicksand can only pull you under to about waist height, which is still a terrifying place to be stuck. It's estimated that the force needed for someone to pull their own foot out of quicksand would be the equivalent of the energy required to lift a medium-sized car. Ceaseless panicked movement will only make you sink deeper into quicksand. Turns out we actually float in the stuff. So should you find yourself in quicksand here in Austin anytime soon, and based on the last year, anything is possible, National Geographic tells me that the way through is to slowly move the legs into a supine position until you are lying horizontal face up in a posture of surrender. I wonder, have you consented to be exactly where you are? Have you consented to be exactly where you are? In stillness, we become someone we cannot become if we only move at 100 miles an hour. And in longings unfulfilled, we develop empathy and solidarity with those who suffer. We experience an angle of God in the dust of death, as the psalmist writes, that we cannot see from the mountaintop. And when we soften our focus on the not yet, we might even notice the beauty of the already. Even as we endure the pain of all that is absent, we can glimpse God's face if we are present. This we are promised. 
Nature photographers know all about this. They spend months watching creatures sleep and putz around and poop just to catch the brilliant instance of the baby joey poking its head out of its mom's pouch, the cubs playing, the eagle snatching a fish. As Sue Monk Kidd writes, if you don't show up prepared to wait, you may miss the transcendent when it happens. I'm sure all of us can point to some unexpected moment of joy or beauty in the past 11 months stuck inside our homes. And we can probably point to some other kinds of moments as well, moments that were like less beautiful, where bitterness and anger and entitlement triumphed. And there's good news for bad waiters too. Abraham and Sarah were certainly not the paragon of patience. They tried to solve the infertility problem by having Abram sleep with Hagar. And when Abram was 86 years old, Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. But their impatience, their distrust and resistance doesn't nullify the covenant. Not only is God's blessing fulfilled in Abraham and Sarah, but it even extends to Ishmael and Hagar as well. She too became the mother of a nation. This God can redeem all of it. And when he does, these characters are given new names. On the other side of death, we become a new creation. You leave behind the trail name you adopted in the wilderness. The butterfly is no longer a caterpillar, but the caterpillar was always going to become the butterfly, whether she knew it or not. Thanks to the patient nature photographers, I was moved this week by this amazing photo of a butterfly shedding its cocoon. Our becoming is an ancient art, difficult and slow. There is no quick and easy, fast-forward, prime shipping, no time-lapse, no instant, three-step way to cocoon. Can we put our faith not in the guarantee of our longings fulfilled? We don't have that but in the assurance that the weight is where our wings are made. You've heard it said, maybe, that God's timing is perfect. God is never late. We must trust God's plan. And I think I used to understand that to mean that either, like Abe and Sarah, we'll get what we're waiting for just much later, or we'll get some surprise that's, like, way better, an award for our endurance. I pictured God holding our deepest longings on a fishing pole just out of reach over our heads until we'd learn to jump high enough or something. I don't know anymore. What do we make of God's perfect timing for those who never do become parents of a nation or even just a longed-for child? When we read in that psalm that the poor shall eat and be satisfied, I'm reminded how far away that day is, how far away that day was when that was written that the great restoration story is so much bigger and longer than my appetite. And yet, I don't want to miss the part of it that I'm alive for, the part that's taking place in me, a becoming as undetectable and undeniable as growing old. When we say home by another way, we don't mean that God sends floods, quicksand, and other calamities as some terrifying obstacle course designed to harden us and prepare us to come home and fully appreciate it when we get there, or to glorify God when we come out alive. No, I think home by way of starting over, home by way of waiting, means we will encounter these challenges in a world not yet redeemed, and we can see God's face here too. These trials can be a school of formation in the hands of the Spirit that is never not evolving us and our world, even when we can't see anything changing. Somehow, we're home all the way home. May we surrender to all that is not yet so that we can be present for all that is. Will you pray with me?
Lord, I think about those folks in our community who are facing an impossible wait, who have been waiting on something for a really, really long time or a really short time, and it's still hard. Thank you that you promise us we can see your face even in these periods of longing and emptiness. And thank you that you are working in us even when we can't see it. Help us to trust that. May that encourage us this week. In your name we pray, amen.